0: And of course, all the grace, but no, God gives us grace moment by moment and day by day. So um, that's what I want to encourage people by. If you are called to suffer, God will give you the grace to endure that suffering in that moment, but you shouldn't expect really to have it
1: before then. I'm Rush Witt, and you're listening to Straight to the Heart, a podcast from New Growth Press. Each episode includes thought-provoking conversations with leading Christian writers and thinkers. We hear who they are, what they believe, how they approach their work in ministry, and the moments and people who have changed their lives. In Straight to the Heart, we go beyond the books to connect with the remarkable people behind them. We're well into our second season, so thank you for listening to, sharing, and subscribing to Straight to the Heart. Today, I enjoyed a conversation with pastor, author, and blogger, Tim Challies. Well, let's be honest. Tim is not just a blogger, for many years he's been the blogger at Challies.com, where he's blogged for nearly 10,000 consecutive days. We talk about Tim's prolific work, his family, and the death of his son Nick in 2020, which Tim discusses in his book, Seasons of Sorrow. Tim's faith and hope in God shines as a comfort and example to all of us in this week's episode. This. Is straight to the heart. So, um, how are you feeling? Are you feeling good? I know in the past when we've interacted, some you were going through some of the, some issues with your hands and joints and things. And how, how have you been feeling more recently?
0: Yeah, uh, really. The the pants thing is just not getting any better. It's just brutal but i'm sorry seems like uh you know prayed about it uh left it with the lord doesn't seem to be getting fixed so seems like something he just wants me to live with for the time being so i'm more now just pray that i'll be able to type for a few hours and you know do that for a day rather than having it go away and he seems to be able to do that so it's been a weird one though
1: Yeah. It sounds that way. Is it, uh, is it that kind of thing where you can get so much kind of out of your hands and then it just becomes too painful? What, what are the symptoms like?
0: Yeah, that sort of thing. And, you know, I could go on heavy duty drugs to mitigate the pain, but then Mm. I won't have a mind to be able to write anyway. So, so it's fine. I, you know, is what it is. So just, you know, kind of press on it does, you know, limit what I could write, but then my mind does as well and other things in life do. So, you know, I won't ever have the output of some people. That's okay.
1: Yeah. And I'm sure, you know, I and many, many other people continue praying for you and maybe something will change in the future, but your perspective on it is encouraging and good reminder (laughs) to me in in the things that I go through. And I was thinking today, about our conversation and uh reminded you saw some friends of mine in Thailand recently. Yeah. How how was that trip?
0: It was good. That was so I was between locations. We filmed an episode of our documentary in Australia and one in South Korea and I had nothing to do for a couple days, so I thought, well, where could I go just to spend some time? Something where somebody would fly it anyways and it was no more expensive to stop halfway. And so uh but no let's go to Thailand know a couple of people there.
1: yeah and you're traveling again soon you you are doing yeah. a lot of a lot of traveling and I actually it, it, that's been uh, historic for you right because I remember watching uh, some of your church history videos yeah. and uh, what's happening with your travel now so you've, you've going around you're working on the documentary I'd love to hear more about that.
0: Yeah, the documentary is called Worship Around the World. The idea is we're going to 12 different countries, and in each one of them we're worshiping with a church that's true to the gospel, based on scripture, but also embedded in its own culture. And so uh, what we're looking for is how is the church the same and different based on cultural matters. And so um, we went to Cambodia and went to a Tiny little rural church. I mean, a village with no electricity, no running water. Um, the gospel is relatively new there. The small language group, so they have to develop all their own hymns and everything else. So, how are they? How are they doing? You know, what does that look like? And then South Korea, where the gospel's been there for a hundred, just over a hundred years, really in, in force. And um, you know, how do they worship in ways that are different from what we'd expect? And uh, yeah, just lots of lots of things like that. So it's been a really interesting journey. We've got seven out of twelve done. Next week we head to Zambia and then Morocco. So that'll be two more or North Africa and publicly heading to N- Zambia, North Africa, and uh, yeah, then we'll be in the home stretch and just have three left.
1: Wow, that's really amazing. Are you the kind of person who travels and likes to keep track, like pins on a map and of all the places that you've been, or you have kind of a, a bucket list of places you'd really love to see? And and if so, like how far into that are you? Because you've been traveling a lot. So you got to be <laughs> checking some off.
0: Yeah, I don't have a list of places I would like to go, really. Uh, I do have a list of all the places I've been and all the places where I've eaten at McDonald's. <sighs> Um, so that's up to 37 Wow! And, yeah, and I should be adding three in the next couple of weeks. So, you know, it'll be a nice round number of 40. Um, yeah. Other than that, what I tend to track more is airline miles and stuff, you know, just travel gets so much easier as you gain status with airlines. So why not carefully track that and climb the ladder there? And then suddenly you find yourself flying in the front, the pointy part of the plane instead of the wide part of the plane, which is yep. always the most comforting part. <laughs> yeah. So it matters.
1: (laughs) Well, those are great opportunities to see the world. Not everybody has those, uh, those opportunities. And, you know, when you're, when you are, uh, older and telling kids and grandkids stories of travels, do you have maybe one trip that just really stands out in your mind of it was just particularly sweet to you or meaningful or, or clarified uh, something in your life or.
0: Yeah, I don't know. I've, I've benefited so much by being around other Christians. And what I really try to do is go and listen and learn more than to go and um, impose my cultural presuppositions on other churches. And I think there's been a lot of benefit in that because our first instinct can be, oh, that's wrong. And it might be. I don't want to be all you know, condescending. Um, and they might be wrong, but more often you, you listen and you learn and you start to think, oh, that's why they do it. So now I know what they're talking about. Now I don't have to be concerned that maybe they've, you know, jettisoned some good theology, that sort of thing. So, and yeah, going to different countries that, you know, and going to churches where they truly are serving the Lord, it's yeah, it turns some things topsy-turvy, in really helpful ways.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's very interesting tell me about your church. What's your church like? Um, Kind of the church culture, your role?
0: Yeah, Toronto is an endlessly fascinating city. So Canada is bringing in a lot of immigrants now. So about half a million immigrants per year in a country of about 40 million people. So in terms of um, the, the quantity measured against the population, it's a huge amount that are coming in and um, it's almost entirely white-collar kind of immigration, so it's um, businesses and, you know, really trying to grow Canada's white-collar um, yeah, sector, and uh, so a lot of those people are immigrating in from India as the main one, of course, lots of people from the Philippines, lots of people from the Middle East, etc., and a lot are coming in with their faith or they're coming in and getting saved, and so Um, anywhere in Canada, especially in the big cities, you're now more likely to meet somebody who was either they or their parents immigrated to Canada. And in our church, that would certainly be reflected. And so it's massively multicultural and um, about 200 members of the church. So not a huge church, uh, still a good size one. We don't have our own building, can't afford our own building. Real estate in Toronto is astronomically expensive. I'm sure. Uh, more and more, refining finding people can't even live in the city, so families tend to move on, move out, go out to the country or go to a different province where things are uh, cheaper. And that's a, an issue we're running into as a church and trying to reason our way or work our way around that. How do we keep people in the city? But uh, yeah, the church is about 25 years old. The Lord's blessed us in, in so many ways. And the church is, I think, very unified. And uh, yeah, God's just doing doing a lot of good through that church, I think.
1: Yeah, that's really great. Tim, I many people, of course, were really sad and sorry to hear about the death of your son, Nick. I think we're coming up on about three years. And I wanted to just to ask how your family is doing now, um, three years later. And, and y- you know, as you reflect on that, uh, I wonder what has helped your family through such a difficult time.
0: Yeah, thank you. Um, we, we have two children at Boyce now. My daughter is there still in her senior year. She's married and uh, living in the married housing on campus. And then my youngest daughter is a freshman at Boyce. So we still have strong connections to the school and are so thankful for it. It's been such a tremendous blessing for our children. Um, yeah, so it's been almost three years and I think my family is doing well by God's grace. We have obviously the the early days were almost unbearably painful and just discombobulating and um, just learning to to carry such a a heavy grief. Um, But I think we all saw God's hand in it. And we, I think, as a family and as individuals, just chose to really bow the knee to God in it, to submit to his will and to worship him through it, to just look for evidences of his kindness and his grace through it and to receive those as God's love and God's care for us. And I think one of the important disciplines was to just really submit our emotions to truth. Uh, our temptation is always to do the other way, to say, "I'm feeling this, therefore this must be true about God." Um, but again, I think just all of us very carefully thought, "No, we're going to believe what's true about God, and then submit our our emotions, submit our feelings to that." So, three years on, of course we we miss Nick. Of course we ourselves sometimes just longing for simpler or more innocent days before we knew that such a great grief could come upon us. Um, but I think we all have our our sights set on heaven in, in different ways, and we're, um, you know, attempting to just really live well here while also longing to be with Christ and to be with Nick.
1: Wow. Well, thanks for sharing that with me. And uh, and on, on this, uh, this time that we have together, I I really appreciate it. I know that, you know, we all know that living in the world in which we live, which is, uh, sometimes seems full of sorrow that no matter what podcast it is or what conversation or who we're interacting with, we're around people who are, who are going through serious grief and difficulty. And, uh, and so I wonder in those, you said earlier that in the, obviously the early, um, the early season then of that grief is almost unbearable uh, what were some of the things that that carried you as a dad through that and if you look back i mean i was really uh, just personally encouraged and helped i think in what, in my memory, were the early days? Then, three years ago, that you were you were expressing some of your thoughts and grief and writing and on your blog, and I just I remember reading some of those things and just being uh, just so impacted and 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 taking away such an example that I felt was was helpful to me of how to handle something heavy, and so I, I just wonder what kind of things as you look back were really instrumental for you personally?
0: So I think one of the, the big things I found in that time was was friends. I found friends in the pages of books. And um, there were friends who guided me, friends from the 1800s largely, who really guided me through those days. And that was an era where the death of a child was more common, more known. Every pastor was helping church members through that or helping their own families through that. And there were, there were people there, who really served as, as steady guides um, in terms of what you might be feeling and how to process that, but then also helping me understand what to do with my grief and really calling me, calling um, anyone who grieves to accept it as God's will, accept it as, as God's providence, and then to, to use that in some way to bless others. So that, that, that wasn't what led to writing a book. I mean, I didn't start thinking right away, I need to write a book about this. What I started thinking about was um, just how can I express this in ways that are true, but maybe helpful to others. Um, and really, all I was doing in that time was communicating other people's thoughts, but just process through my own grief and my own interpretation. And beyond that, of course, there were people in our local church who are so helpful, people in our neighborhood who are so helpful, who who cared for our needs and ministered to us. But for all that, this was still relatively early COVID and a lot of lockdowns and other things. We had traveled and so we were stuck in our home for weeks at a time. And so, um, and living in a neighborhood with lots of spies and lots of people who would out us if anyone transgressed the rules. So um, we were really, um, yeah, we had to be, we were on our own an awful lot more than we ever would have thought possible. My family's stuck on, they all live in America, so they're stuck on the other side of the border, mm. et cetera. So um, that's why books were maybe more important than they would have been if it had been a time of more more normalcy back then.
1: In this episode, Tim Challies and I have been discussing his book, Seasons of Sorrow, The Pain of Loss and the Comfort of God. On November 3rd, 2020, the Challies family received the shocking news that their son Nick had died. A 22 year old student, he had been participating in a school activity with his fiance, sister and friends when he fell unconscious and collapsed to the ground. Neither students nor a passing doctor nor paramedics were able to revive him. His parents received the news at their home in Toronto and immediately departed for Louisville to be together as a family while on the plane Tim began to process his loss through writing, just as we have been discussing today. In Seasons of Sorrow, Tim shares real-time reflections from the first year of grief, introducing readers to what he describes as the ministry of sorrow. Seasons of Sorrow will benefit both those who are working through sorrow or those who are comforting others. I want to really encourage you to consider this book so that you can see how God is sovereign over loss and that He is good in loss and to understand how it is possible to love God more after loss than you even loved Him before. Tim Challies helps us with all of this through his book, Seasons of Sorrow, The Pain of Loss, and the Comfort of God, available now. Did you know where those friends in books were when you, when you went to read? Did you, um, you know, have a time where you, you knew or, or wanted to, uh, to find those friends and you knew where to find them already because you have such a breadth of reading experience or were there new things recommended to you or was it more of a hunt trying to find truth that was particularly helpful to you? How did you find those friends?
0: Yeah, a little bit from column A and a little bit from column B. So I already had had made friends with J.R. Miller, who was a late 1800s author. He was a devotional writer, um, largely wrote for periodicals, and so relatively short form writing. His books are really just collections of his essays on various topics. So I'd already read a lot of his material. So new to go looking there. Same with Theodore Kyler. He had been super important to me already. And uh, and then they sort of led me to others. That said, uh, for at least one person, I wrote to a person I knew had deep knowledge of, of all things Presbyterian writers in the late 1800s, um, which is what both of those men were. So I thought, well, maybe there's more of them. And he led me to a couple of others um, who are super helpful as well. So um, yeah, it was a bit of knowledge i already had and then a little bit of asking around
1: i like that metaphor i suppose it's a metaphor or analogy for friends uh friends and books those voices that have spoken into your life and just just in general in your life do you have one best friend uh in terms of uh, voices in, in books that you've read or or figures from from the past and and i, I wonder why that friend is your best friend
0: J.R. Miller's had probably more impact on me than anyone in terms of how I think about life and how I interpret circumstances. So J.R. James Russell Miller, pastor in America in the late 1800s, very early 1900s. And again, a lot of devotional writing, by which I mean just writing that's really to the heart and really meant to, to he wasn't a theological writer as much as he was just helping you live the Christian life, helping you live for God's glory and the the circumstances of your life. And so I think he's made a deeper impact on me than just about anyone. Another one who's, who's been really important maybe over the last couple of years is DeWitt Talmadge. He was also a Presbyterian preacher in the U.S. in that era and really, really well known in his day, but almost entirely forgotten in our own day. And I've been reading my way through his 500 best sermons and um, just has been such a tremendous blessing and challenge to me. So, yeah, but J.R. Miller, uh, when I'm in heaven, when I can start meeting the people who have been so important to me and left such an influence on my life, he's going to be pretty close to the top there. People I want to get a coffee with if that's something we do in heaven. Amazing, and, uh, yeah, just I hope thank so. Thank him and just hear from him.
1: If, if I wanted to get... Uh, familiar with jr miller which i'm not very i i know the name uh what would you recommend would be a good starting place for me in terms of his writing
0: yeah since his writing was largely article based you can go just about anywhere and you can just google it jr miller and that's what you're going to find is his articles so i would just start there um that way there's no cost of entry you could go to amazon or something and find a kindle version most of which are very badly done kind of cheap knockoff stuff um, as so many classic Kindle works are. Um, but yeah, just Google it. You'll find some of his material and just start reading and see if, if he resonates with you as he did with me.
1: You know, to echo something I was kind of getting at earlier in terms of your influence on, uh, so many of us and, uh, and your continued influence into the future, you, you are not to, not to overwork that, uh, that metaphor, but you are one of those voices. You're one of those friends that people have have come to respect your uh, your your input in writing and and in other ways. Um, and certainly, your voice in seasons of sorrow. I'm sure is that that kind of voice. I, and, and by the way, I, I really am struck by that picture of of friends in books. And I just I find that to be such an interesting and helpful way to look at actually the work of writing books if we were to think more carefully of ourselves in that way um i've written some i don't know that i've thought that way i've thought more like a counselor which of course is you know friends are counselors but uh more like a counselor and how i might counsel someone but i'm going to need to think more carefully about how i could be a good friend on on paper and i i've I've wanted to ask you, in terms of writing Seasons of Sorrow, um, how that process worked for you and how it was in, um, an encouragement to you in a dark time. Um, what was that like, kind of working through that and yeah. those thoughts, as you said, on on paper that others could benefit from?
0: Yeah, it, Seasons of Sorrow didn't begin as a book. It began as just me uh, working through what was going on, um, and then just putting it out on the blog or just putting it on my computer. Um, the way I work through things is to write about them. I'm not very good at just sitting and thinking. I need to sit, think, write as a it's kind of trio, triad, triad there. And um that's how I think is by writing things out. I just don't have the the brain capacity to think and remember. I just think and forget. <laughs> So I think I write and that's how I work things through. And so that's what I was doing in the early days of that grief. And um, it wasn't until some months after when I had been writing a fair bit and just sort of putting those things out there that I thought, well, maybe I could just compile this into a book. The other thing was, I just thought I can only write about this so much on the blog. I can't make my entire blog about processing this loss. Um, You know, there's other things I want to talk about, not everybody wants to read all of that. and But I had so much more I wanted to write about and what to say. So what was going to become of all that writing? Well, eventually I thought, well, I'll just put it in a book or at least consider putting it in a book. And that way I still have a goal for writing it. So uh, it really was just my my meditation, my time with the Lord, my time of thinking things through, my time of processing grief. I'm, I'm an external processor, but not verbally. I do it through the written word.
1: Yeah. In my experience, a limited experience with you, you've always been responsive. There have been a couple of times that I've emailed you and I, even way back, um, but probably about something about the blog and you've always been, you know, really responsive uh, and, 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 you know, reachable. And I wonder what kind of response you have gotten from those who have read Seasons of Sorrow. Uh, do you have people who, who reach out to you after reading it and share kind of the grief that you have helped them through or or what was particularly um, impactful to them?
0: I've had a lot of feedback from it, which has been really encouraging. And I did do my best to make public, especially if you've endured the loss of a child, please do reach out to me. I love to be available to you for that. And that's led to lots of phone calls and lots of um, just interaction and engagement with people specifically who have lost the child. And then more general interaction and and feedback from people who have just experienced other sorrows or other losses. So I think people have found what I wrote just identifiable. I I think I've often been describing something that's a common experience, but not everyone is a writer or a a processor like that. So not everybody can articulate it. And I think um, I've, I've practiced articulating the inner man a fair bit. And so I think that's been helpful to people. They've been able to say, yeah, I can relate to that. And that helps me as I process my own grief or something like the manifesto I included in that, just a manifesto of suffering. Uh, I think other people have really grabbed hold of that. And I put it out there so people could copy and paste it and change it and insert their own names and their own particulars and make it their own. And I think that's helped people as well, especially people who... There are two negative reviews. I just looked earlier. I don't usually look at the feedback of my books or reviews of my book, but on Amazon, there's two negative reviews. And both of them are from people who are fine with the book, but they hate Calvinism. They hate that I'm reformed or Calvinistic in my understanding of God's sovereignty. But for people who, who share that conviction, I think they found it very helpful too in terms of saying, I'm, I'm convinced God was involved in this. Uh, I'm convinced this was God's will And I'm convinced that all things are working for good. And that doesn't mean we need to like it, if you will, or it doesn't mean we need to rejoice at the event itself, but it means we can see God's hand in it and we must submit to God in it and then look for the meaning God has for it or what God calls us to in it.
1: If you're finding this episode helpful, and I'm sure you are, two more book recommendations. First, Someone I Know is Grieving, and second, a small book for the hurting heart. When someone is grieving, it can be hard to know what to say or do. We want to be helpful, not hurtful, but it's easy to go wrong. The good news is that we can learn to approach those who are grieving with the same compassion that Jesus shows us when we're grieving. It starts with humility and listening well, and expands into practical support as the Spirit leads us. In Someone I Know Is Grieving, Edward T. Welch leans on his many years of counseling grieving people to help readers learn from their compassionate Savior how to respond to people's sadness in hard times without advice or trying to fix it, but to instead hear their story, learn from others' experiences, and depend on the Spirit for wisdom for what to say and do. And the second book is A Small Book for the Hurting Heart by Paul Tauchus. Grief may threaten to overtake us, or destroy our joy, and in this powerful devotional book, men and women will see Jesus, the man of sorrows, who is well acquainted with grief and sadness. Author and pastor Paul Tauchus offers our Comforting High Priest, sharing how the Holy Spirit ministers to our hurting heart through the healing balm of God's Word graciously applied to life's wounds. By biblically and transparently addressing the heart and faith struggles in the midst of this grief, a small book for the hurting heart delves deeply, but gently, into the issues of the heart, presenting encouragement and comfort in the character of God revealed in His Word. This small but transformative devotional cultivates anchors of hope, redirecting men and women to the trustworthiness of God who is always for us in Christ. He walks with readers through their grief to see the one who nourishes our faith and heals our soul. You can find Someone I Know is Grieving and a small book for the hurting heart by visiting newgrowthpress.com. That's very helpful to hear uh, the way that it's encouraged others and and uh how they've expressed that to you are are there th- things that your family's doing uh moving forward that are uh, helping you to remain encouraged and hopeful you know in in remembering Nick and looking forward to seeing him again and uh and in the ongoing process of uh of of grieving now are there certain things that your family is is doing that have been helpful, that would be helpful to others who go through something like this?
0: The most helpful thing of
1: all is that they're all staying
0: true to the Lord, that um, my wife, my two daughters, Nick's fiance, they all love the Lord more now than they did before. Uh, I think they would all agree with that. I certainly see that in their lives, that by submitting to God and their sorrow and by really being Forcing themselves to look straight in the face of God as He reveals Himself in the Word through the sorrow, it spurred on their love for Him and their love for His people and their desire to serve God by serving His people. So the greatest encouragement to me is is their faith. And I think if you talk to, especially Aileen before, I don't I don't know she would have believed that she could endure this loss with her faith not only intact but increased. I, I just don't think she would have believed it about herself. This was this was her greatest fear being realized. Her the, the thing she least thought she could endure here it was and she endured it by God's grace and God's strength. And so that's just a huge, huge encouragement and blessing to me. And then same for my girls.
1: Yeah really huge and huge encouragement to anyone who hears that uh that there is that there is hope and uh, there are surprises in that sense of uh, of encouragement and grace from God. That His you know His grace is uh, is surprising at times. I, I mean, I, I suppose I, to be accurate, I'd have to say it's surprising all the time because I, f- I find in my life that that's my you know my great underestimation. Um, I've said a few times to our church uh, just the reminder that no matter you know who you are, where you are, what you're doing, you are underestimating him uh, we just don't have the capacity to to truly estimate uh, him and his grace and mercy and and his help and so that's a that's a wonderful picture
0: yeah and you know when we pro- when we project into the future, we we're only operating with, with the 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 grace we have in that moment. You know, God doesn't give us grace to endure tomorrow's sorrows. He gives us grace to endure today's sorrows. So as we look into the future, you might say, I don't see how I could ever be survive that kind of, of trial. But God hasn't given you the grace for that trial. You don't get to just fabricate things in your mind and and of course I'll have the grace. For that. No, God gives us grace moment by moment and day by day. So um, that's what I would want to encourage people by if you are called to suffer god will give you the grace to endure that suffering in that moment but you shouldn't expect really to have it before then
1: yeah a lot of a lot of wisdom uh there uh in just those just those few words if it's not too uh, jarring or out of place? Maybe I could transition to some some lighter questions that I'm interested sure. to ask you. So, with everything that goes on in Tim Chally's life, do you have time for uh, sort of interests like hobbies and things that fall outside of the normal kind of uh, reading, writing, pastoring, uh, traveling? Do you have certain interests that you you follow up? You follow up on sports teams or do you have things other things like that in your life that you you delight in I do have
0: hobbies my main hobby would be photography especially landscape photography so that is an interest Aileen and I developed together as much as anything just there's something we wanted to do something together to find a hobby we would both enjoy equally and that could really become part of our lives and so landscape photography is the one, and we've really learned to to love it. And you know, part of the the joy of my travel, I get to travel a lot of places to speak or to film documentaries. That also gives me the opportunity to take photographs in interesting places. Beyond that, I like to follow the Toronto Blue Jays. I like to follow the Buffalo Bills. I, um, you know, yeah, I have hobbies, but not a ton of them. Uh, you know, with life being what it is, I don't have a, a lot of margin. For those sorts of things or even a lot of interest in further hobbies at least for the time being
1: that's yeah that's very interesting and really interesting about uh photography and uh w- did you have an interest in that or did you just you were looking for something and that that made sense why photography not something else
0: i did not have any interest in photography until i started traveling and as I started traveling, I had the opportunity. I, I took one trip to Switzerland. And I'm out in the Alps. So I got to start taking photos. And I took photos and I thought, man, these are awful. There's got to be a better way of taking photos. So that sort of sent me down that rabbit hole of, well, what do I need? Or how can I take better photos? And then Aileen got interested and we just sort of made the decision. All right, if we're going to put money or time into a hobby, why don't we put it into this hobby? And so I think we made a, a decision to do it together, to enjoy it together. And then just to start focusing on that as our hobby, you can't, we don't have enough money to put it into everything, to do everything, et cetera, but we can, we can do one. And so photography is the one where we can, um, just enjoy ourselves a little bit that way.
1: Yeah, that's very cool. And what a great way to carry those, to carry your hobby on into the future with you, the memories of places that you've been and, uh, beautiful sites that you've noticed and, uh, and captured. That's really, that's really cool.
0: And one of the things we want to do through photography is showcase the glory of God. We, You're unlikely to see a lot of photographs of landscapes with me standing in front of them, which is so often what you do with photography, right? I'm the most interesting subject in this photo. The landscape is just a prop to show me, to make me look better. But um, And, you know, there's fine, that's a good rule for photography. But we just like to display God's glory in creation. And that really excites us. We really appreciate and enjoy that. And so that's what we're trying to do with it, not to, not to be holier than thou or anything, but that's just part of the joy of it is look what God did. Just look at this sunset. There will never be another sunset like this one. I've got this photograph of it. I can just pull it up on my computer at any time, just rejoice in what God did at that moment in that place
1: uniquely. That's amazing. It really is. what, what what do the next 10 to 15 years look like for you? Uh, How do you, I wonder how you think about that in light of family and ministry and and writing and and, uh, the Buffalo Bills and photography and all of that. What, uh, how far do you, do you look out and what do you see and pray for and hope for in these these next years of your life, Lord willing? I do not set a lot of long-term
0: goals. Uh, I think even just through the whole situation with Nick, I kind of just, realize that i don't know that there's a lot of purpose in that and even from a you know business slash ministry slash whatever perspective i don't find a lot of value in that for my purposes for my particular life um i'm glad to look ahead a little bit but really i just want to keep doing what i'm doing um i want to keep up with the blog that that has been and is my main thing. I want to keep serving people through there. I've always wanted it to be as free as possible for as many people as possible. So I'm hoping that continues with sponsors and patrons and all of that. I can just keep putting out content. I want to write books as I'm able, just as God gives me topics or, or gives me interest. Um, 15 years from now, I'll be just closing in on becoming a senior citizen. So that'll be a, you know, a switch, a different, form of life i i don't want to keep going any longer in public ministry than the lord wants for me i think there's a lot of people who linger and linger and linger and i'm maybe maybe i'll do the same because i really feel that that's what god's got for me but i also want to be willing and able to step out when the time comes and just leave that to to younger people and um, just focus entirely on my local church or family or whatever local interest god gives me
1: you know, Tim, it's been really a delight, honestly. I'm really grateful for our, our time and, and what you're doing and, and many blessings on on you and your family and uh, your health and everything that you're working on uh, in these coming weeks, months, and Lord willing, years and years. Oh, thank you. Really appreciate it. You've been listening to Straight to the Heart, a podcast from New Growth Press. Be sure to subscribe so you don't miss an episode like next week's when I sit down with author Sally Michael about helping children love the Bible. You can look for that episode in one week, and I'll look forward to seeing you there.